You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to episode 16 of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And we're back. And this week, we've got a good one. I think I always say that, but they always are good. Um, even if I do say so myself. We're speaking to Kieran Achar again. We promised the second part of his pod, which we first recorded in June. Um, and we didn't get that far in, in that one. Uh, and so we discussed that we would rejoin and do a part two where we cover the kind of rest of his professional career. And that is exactly what we did. Uh, we sat down for uh, about an hour, maybe a little over, and talked about everything we didn't get to last time. As well as, of course, GB, because, um, of course, they've just finished their Eurobasket 2017 qualifying campaign. But, yeah, very another very interesting, uh, insightful conversation. Kieran is very articulate and an intelligent guy, so I always love taking the time to uh, hear what he has to say. Um, and he shared a lot of interesting stories in this. Um, so I am sure you will enjoy having a listen. As always, um, do give me your feedback. Let me know what you think. If you've got a spare couple of minutes, please go on iTunes. Drop us a rating. Give us a comment. It will help us rise in the rankings, which will help the podcast spread. Give us a bigger audience and expose British basketball to even more people, which is what we want. Also, uh, I started recently Three Point Thursday, a weekly email newsletter that goes out to the list um, that have subscribed every Thursday. Um, with three things that have been on my mind that week, um, which has been a really cool experience so far with loads of email interaction um, where I'm sharing and talking about ideas and content that is not public or shared anywhere else. So if this is something of interest, please go to hoopsfix.com forward slash newsletter and you can sign up there. Anyway, I will leave you here. Um, Have a listen, let me know what you think. Uh, drop me an email if you want, sam at hoopsfix.com, uh, or you can reach me out, reach out to me on all social media profiles. I've been going hard on Snapchat recently at Hoopsfix. Um, yeah, hit me up and let me know what you thought, what you think about this conversation with GB star Kieran Achara. Kieran, great to have you back to uh, get this part two done. Great to be here. Just I've been been thinking about what to say. Making sure I, I sound more kind of people say I sound a little bit like Sean Connery in the last one, so <laughs> I'm going to make sure I try and uh, emphasise my words a little bit better and put a little bit of London into it. Fair enough. <laughs> um, you know, you just finished the GB GB campaign, uh, BBL season starting. I would like to kind of start there. Um, you know, if you were to look back and evaluate this this summer's campaign, you know, what would you say about it? Uh, you know, overall, I would say it was a success. I was very proud of our guys. We stepped up in, in, in a few of the games to make sure that uh, we got the job done. We did what we needed to do to, to qualify. But at the same time, uh, I actually listened to Dan's uh, podcast as well uh, with you uh, last week or so. Uh, you know, there was a lot of disappointment there as well uh, in the sense that you know we, we, we let some games slip. Uh, and we know moving forward that we have to be more consistent over 40 minutes uh, for us to, to have any type of uh, 
consistency and, and the fact of going on to these major tournaments and playing them on a regular basis. So, yeah, like I said, I'm very, very happy. Uh, I thought we had a successful campaign, but there's still a lot that we need to work on. How, how would you say that you get that consistency? Um, you know, GB over the years is when you look at the powerhouses that we've played and the, the close games we've had against Spain, it's always come down to, you know, we've, we've, we've done really well over two or three quarters and then there's a period of time that just kind of lets us down. Um, so how, how do you think that's something that you can practice? I, the only way you can practice that is through experience. And, you know, we talk about consistency in play. It's consistency who turns up for camp as well. I yeah. feel that once you have a solid core group of guys... Uh, who have been through a lot, uh, who are learning, it's, it's a lot easier to bring in some younger faces and they, they adapt quicker. But when the, when in the past, you know, sometimes we're missing this piece, this piece, this piece, this piece, it can get it can get kind of tricky, especially now, you know, with the, the lack of funding, we have the shorter camps. So we have to learn a lot quicker. Uh, and uh, right now I, I feel that um, from a coaching standpoint, uh Coaches are having to actually teach a lot of things that people should technically know already. Uh, and with a limited amount of time, uh, that's hard to do that. So I, I feel it's just that guys need to, you know, commit to the program and however that, however that may be, have that kind of core group of guys and from a, you know, hopefully from their own clubs uh, playing at a higher level. They're learning a lot of these kind of things about spacing, this, that, and the next thing. That you know, when we come together, we're just gelling and we're really focused on the little minute details. What would you say were the biggest positives to come out of this year's campaign? Biggest positives: uh, the qualification. That's probably <laughs> first and foremost. But uh, just for me, the some of the, the you know our, our, uh, our front court and back court were phenomenal. I, I, I really loved uh, watching Gabe uh, blossom. I think he's going to be something spectacular. Uh, our guards, obviously, um, you know, Andrew Lawrence playing high-level basketball, you know, something that we knew he was capable of. But after coming off a couple of injuries, I think it was it was good for him and good for his confidence and great, you know, great for GB to see. Uh, and also, I, I really liked the the fact of you know, like Teddy, uh, Alex. You know, we have a, a lot of young young uh, players coming through. We are ready to compete at that level, so I think that's very. That was the, probably the most promising thing. And for you personally, were you, were you happy with your own performances? Yes, I know. I felt that uh, I, you know, I contributed uh, well, especially scoring. But you know, my rebounding it wasn't as strong as it usually is in the past. And uh, I felt that the, there's, like I said, there's a lot of younger guys coming through, like like a game that I didn't even have to play. Much of the five in the past, I've, I've played a lot at the five position as well as the four. So uh, having you know a stronger, stronger, uh, stronger bigs, I think it's, it's 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 made it a little bit harder to get some court time. But at the same time, I'm I'm happy to see that uh, you know, and I'm I'm happy. I can at the end of the campaign, I was still walking. So as long <laughs> as I'm still walking, I'm going to be trying to trying to make 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 those GB teams. And I was, obviously, I spoke to uh, Dan a little bit about it as well. But um, Printy next year. Um, with the with the new FIBA qualification and stuff, have you spoken to him at all? Do you have any inclination of whether he's going to be back for Eurobasket 2017 and what GB's plans are around the coaching staff for that? Uh, we we had spoke about it. Uh, it was it was not around those kind of like him going to be there. 
I, like I know he's invested in the program, which is it's, it's great to see. You know, we, we've we've spoke about other ideas before. You know, we were mentioning to to Danny actually talked about having a BBL uh, you know franchise that has like British players playing in the European leagues. I'd spoke about all this before with Coach Prunty too, and you know he was looking at these ideas, and so I'm not I'm not saying that he's looking right now. <laughs> Yeah, but looking to buy a franchise or that, but you know he's he's exploring how how to make British basketball better as well. So I, I'm sure he's investing in the program. But we had talked about the new qualifications and what this meant, and he said obviously that would cause complications. Um, you know, and they were talking about other other federations not not particularly buying into the idea. So I still think they're going to go ahead with it regardless. But I, I don't know where that leaves him. And but like I said, I know at this moment in time that. If he can be there, he will be there. And uh, are you planning on being back next summer for Eurobasket 2017? Ah, uh, for sure. Yeah. Well, um, that's that's my that's actually my focus to make sure that I'm fit and healthy through the season, had a, a you know a strong campaign in the BBL, and make sure that I'm 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 there to try and win my spot to the Eurobasket. How uh, have you found uh, the start of the BBL season? I saw you had a cheeky dunk in the first game. <laughs> that, that actually surprised me. I, I really hope our, our cameraman got that. On. <laughs> I've never had a picture. All my pictures at the free throw line usually. That'd be a nice highlight pick. But yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with our group of guys. Again, it's adapting to a different role. Like in, in GB, I can kind of just spread the floor and pick my spots while, you know, with the rocks, I've, I'm a little bit, I play a little bit more uh, down low, uh, a little bit more of a, a teacher as well for a lot of the younger guys. Um, so, I, I've, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, find my flow at the moment, uh, but I'm sure it'll come, give me a few weeks and, you know, I'll be right there. But, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the season. I really like a bunch of guys. We've got a great uh, coach, you know, Sterling's got, uh, doing a great job. He's really, really building and, Again, we were talking about from a from a standpoint. I heard with Dan's podcast about just like the development of the game. We've actually got ourselves a great assistant coach this year, uh, who's also going to be our Scottish national team coach, right. and he's helping a lot with the whole player development, which I think is a key factor that the BBL really need to take a look at. Is that the uh, Eric Olsen? Yes. Yeah. So actually working on developing our young players so they can actually reach higher levels. I think that's that's something that. The British Basketball League really need to take note of and and work towards. He Eric's already started, right? Yes, yes, Eric started. And he's going to be so he's assisting the BBL team, going yep. to be coaching the senior national team. Is he doing something else as well? So or? he yes, and he will also be used as like a kind of mentor to help our coaches' development as well throughout Scotland. And he's so, American. Is he American? He's American. Yes. Okay. Um. So. The last podcast, we uh, went back to the, the, the beginnings. Uh, we went through everything, and we kind of we got as far as college, and then that was when your your first uh, GB call up came, and then we kind of got a little bit sidetracked, and we didn't go as far as I would like to go. So you know, with this one, I, I like I said to you before we started recording, um, I would like to kind of go into the, the professional career stuff and uh, and going over you know your experience with GB over the years whilst you were, whilst you were pro and stuff. So kind of like going back to um, the initial transition uh, from your senior year to then turning pro. Like we had some conversation about when you started realizing that you had a shot at a professional career. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what it was like finishing college and then um, 
what the thought process was and kind of how it come about your first professional contract? So uh, we, my senior year was technically my my fifth year because I'd tore my shoulder the year before, so I'd already graduated and stuff. And uh, I was really excited about you know going on and doing uh, like trying out this whole basketball career thing. Like I like I said, my focus was the GB team and how I could best position myself to make the Olympic team. And I thought the only way that would be possible is if I played professional basketball. So that was really my mindset. It wasn't like it was made up that I was going to do this, do that. Uh, it was really, I was focused through the, the whole GB process. And I got talking to, at the time, it was uh, actually Luol Deng's agent. His name was Josh Nockhamson uh, in Chicago. So after I'd finished up in college, he flew me out to Chicago uh, to to discuss going uh, my plans going forward, and obviously I I thought I thought highly of uh, Luol, so I thought any any person that was representing Luol would be good, good enough for me. So uh, I was very fortunate to meet Luol then, uh, work out in Chicago while I was getting ready to go professional, and just explore my options. So did you sign? Did you sign with Luol's agent? Yes. So that's oh, I signed. Signed there, and that's I know I I spent my whole summer in Chicago that year as well, just to get ready for GB and for my professional career. And that was when this that was when the potential summer league option came up, which didn't end up happening. Yes, which so, we spoke about last time. Yeah, 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 that's exactly what happened. And then for unfortunate events, uh, the uh, the agent at the time was having a lot of problems off the court with, you know. I, can't, I don't want to really go into it, yep. but it was like some type of scandal, and uh, I was left without an agent. So I, <laughs> I was now, you know, planning on going professional without an agent, and that was just around the time that I was just getting ready to go home and get ready for to go to GB camp. So I had no agent, no job, <laughs> didn't know what I was going to do. But like I said, my only focus at that time was GB. So. I went into GB camp uh, thinking, okay, this is I'm just going to do what I do, do what I have to do, and everything will work out. So I'll, I'll probably find an, an agent after that. And then, what, and then what happened? So what happened was <laughs> instead of an agent finding me, a club found me, uh, and they were they asked me who my agent was, and I told them I didn't have one. <laughs> So they actually got in contact with an agent for me, which in hindsight probably wasn't the best idea because I'm thinking they would be cutting deals with the agent yeah. too. <laughs> but I, I really, I really, really didn't know nothing about the game. So I, I, you know, I signed with the agent, and he became my agent. He's still my agent to this day. Uh, he, he really looked out for me. But I signed a, a three-year contract with uh, Fortitudo Bologna, which was a big Euro Cup team at the time, and you know. You know the, the players we had that year in our team, like I, like it just fell on my lap. I was so fortunate. The coach I had was unbelievable. Uh, the, I mean, the, we had so many NBA guys. We had like you no know, point guard was like Marcelo Huertas. We had a uh, guy DJ Strawberry. We had uh, you know all the top like uh, Gregor Fuchka, who's a European legend. Yeah. Podopolis, you know. <laughs> MVP the World Championships. I mean, we had it was an unbelievable squad, and like I said, I didn't, I don't know how this team found me, but I was, I was happy they did. Were you fielding offers from other teams, or were they the only team that that you ended up speaking to? Well, I mean, literally that was the only team I spoke with because I, like, I, and the, the crazy thing was I, I'd went to Italy with the GB team, 
And I think, I don't know if that actually helped me in any way. Uh, but I actually, I don't know if you remember this, I actually had to leave the GB team at the time because the club that was signing me didn't want me to play for my national team. Uh, really? So I had I actually had words with uh, Finch, Coach Finch, and I was like, look, I don't have a job and this team's offering me a three-year deal and the money was, was really, really good. And I was like, what should I do? And he was like, well, it's, it's totally up to you. It's, uh, but uh, he, he actually said uh, that uh, <laughs> I don't think you're ready for that level. So <laughs> I don't know if that's a team that you should be signing with. And if you stay here, you could get a job playing. I could get you a job. And uh, I think it was in Cyprus at the time. Right. And it was like for three times less the money that I was going to be making. <laughs> So I decided to leave, and that's when I had, there was a lot of scandal going on at the time. Uh, they, we were, you know, we were going to sue, sue the club through FIBA, uh, GB, then I got I got called back to the national team. GB uh, were going to sue the club? Yes, so I went out to training camp with uh, in, in Italy for a week. Right. My coach in Italy said, GB got in contact with you, we have to release you to come back and play for your national team if you want to do that. And I said, of course I want to play for my national team. Uh, so it caused a whole lot of confusion. I went back with GB. It was during the qualifiers. Yeah. I sat. I sat on the bench the whole time. Never played a single minute. Uh, <laughs> and then went back to my team. So my team was angry that I'd left the team to to not play a single minute. Yeah. But it was. I guess it was a, a lesson. And I remember there was a paper article. I'll never forget it. And they were calling me a traitor for not uh, for leaving the club. Oh really? Leaving GB. And it really, it really, really hurt me. Like, it was one of those things that I was thinking, you know, I was just a young kid who had no job, who wanted a job, you know, and I had nothing. So it was just, and I was a traitor, and, you know, I'd seen guys in the past who did, never showed up for camp and this, that, and the next thing, and they took the blame on me, so. Which paper, what, this was a paper in Italy or a paper in Scotland? Paper in, paper in, in the UK. Oh, wow. Uh, this day, I'll never forget the journalist, I'm not going to name his name. Really? But I never, <laughs> I hated him from that day on. So, and it was actually, I was, I was thankful because uh, Robert Archibald actually stuck up for me, and he pulled up the journalist about it, uh, about the article, because he said it was unfair that he wasn't even playing that summer, uh, and you were, uh, you were, you were picking on someone like Kian, who you know, who was very invested in the program. Yeah. So, they, so essentially, they, so. You, Basically, the club wasn't allowed to stop you from playing national team. Is that, well, what, it, that, that what it was? The club can't stop you, and the rules they they have to allow you to play for your national team. So uh, once I was signed, once I was signed, they couldn't say you know they they had no control. Uh, but at the same time, you know you could say that that sounds easy for every player. But if you really think about it, you could then come back to that club. They could say, "Oh, you're injured, or you failed a medical, or yeah. you did she did that." Yeah. So, not a lot of people would have taken that risk, but I was—I don't know if I was, you know, a smart or if I was an idiot. <laughs> uh, but I, like, I, like I said, GB was my was my focal point. So if I if I had the opportunity to play for GB, I was going to take it, and that that, that, that was thankful. Kind of worked out in the end. But then it, you know, you going back and then obviously not getting a minute the entire summer. Um, you know, that that obviously kind of sat well after all that fuss. Did it cause any feelings of resentment towards Chris Finch or, or the program at all, or were you? Did you just think it was all part of the process? You know, you were still young, and 
and whatever uh, else. Was, I'm not going to lie, uh, me and Finch weren't the best of friends, and you know, uh, I, did, I was, I was, I was genu- genuinely upset, but at the same time, like GB basketball is bigger than me. It's bigger than Finch. It's bigger than you know any player. So I knew that you know I would put everything to the side, and you know would be amicable in the sense that I was always going to go and, and play for my country no matter what, you know, it was, you know, there was times that I was just like, oh, this, that and the next thing. But at the same time, you know, if you put GB at the forefront above everything else, then it's, it's a lot easier to, to handle. Yeah. So then, and then you, when you eventually got to your club, how did you find that in comparison to college? Like how, how was the transition? It was a completely different game, and this is what this is the thing I was I was I wanted to kind of emphasise before about uh, you know Prunty and situations when he comes into camp and players are not knowing this that and the next thing. It's very easy not to because in college it was all about you know just go harder, just go faster, just play stronger, you know chase 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 hustle hustle hustle. While in Europe it was a lot about spacing and. The rhythm of the game, and you know, it was it was more tactical, like a chess match. Like, okay, this is the options. This, this, you know, it was it was tactics, tactics, tactics. Yeah. And that was completely different from the way I was used to playing. So, I I, I felt that I was very fortunate in the sense that I learned so much. I had a great Serbian coach uh, my first year called Dragan Shakota, who taught me so much and worked with me. And like I said, I I came I came from a kind of like a like. But education was really important to me. So now my basketball was my education. So it was like going back to school. So, you know, I I learned so much from that. And I think that that's where my basketball IQ really started to to grow because I was working with these phenomenal coaches. And what I see right now is with with British basketball and the economy and so forth, players are taking jobs in, you know, this league, that league. And they're not actually getting worked on. They're not actually they're not actually getting taught the same things that you were getting taught at a really high level in Europe. Yeah, I feel because of that we're lacking on in certain things, and we have to, you know, teach this, teach that, which takes a little bit too long at times. What would you say the biggest difference is when you look at how the game is taught, um, whether it's in Italy or, or anywhere else in Europe that you've been, compared to how it's taught in England, well, in Scotland, in Britain. I, I feel that. In, in Britain, you know, we've our cultures we've learned from books. While in you know Europe, they've learned from experience. So it's 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 a little bit different. And I, I'm not going knocking our coaches because I know I work with a lot of clubs. They are giving their absolute all, but yeah. because it's, they only know what they know. And you know, in Europe, they've they've had these experience. They know about this. They know about that. Like for me. Investing in our coaches in, in in the UK is probably the biggest thing. Like it doesn't matter how much you do this, how much you do that. If you don't have the right teachers teaching the game, yeah. it's be very very difficult to grow. So uh, I felt that in Europe, the focus was on exactly that. Like you know, it doesn't matter how big you were or how small you were or how fast you were, they would find a way to work with you. Well, in in the UK, if you're an athlete. Go and dominate with your athleticism. Yeah. But what happens is when that athleticism is taken away, which European teams do because of tactics, they know how to, you know, to take away your athleticism. What are we left with? So it's you know, it, it definitely comes down to that fact that I feel that from a coaching perspective, 
I would learn so much more in in, in Europe. I could be in you know I, I learned more in nine months in Italy and Spain than I would have you know my whole career in in in, in the UK. Did you think the the most of the learning was done um, actually during a game in a game on the court, or do you think that actually it was actually in practice time, spending the time with the coaches and and running through sets and whatever else? I think for me, practice because okay, my first year I maybe averaged fourteen minutes a game, and don't get me wrong that they were fourteen quality minutes on a on a big big team, but I had mentors like I said, Gregor Fuchka, Euroleague legend, Papadopoulos, you know, Greek captain. Uh, guys who were just helping me, you know, and it's the same thing when I used to go to GB. Like I, I, like I talked about Andrew Betts and the Robert Archibalds, and stuff. they were giving me so much information, and I was just, you know, just taking it all and taking it all in. That actually helped me progress a lot faster than I would have been when playing in any any league, just playing, you know, quality minutes on a in a league that, you know, I wasn't learning anything. Yeah. Well, what would an would an average day look like for you back then um, with Bologna? Like, you know, how many practices? What would you do during your downtime? Well, um, there's always two practices a day. Um, so we would have a, a morning session from like ten till twelve, and then we'd come back in the evening from uh, six till eight. And uh, a lot of those morning sessions, it was just like individual workouts. You know, extra. You know, if it was someone was a little bit weaker extra uh, time in the, in the weight room. Uh, if someone needed some video time, uh, they would go through videotape and going through games and different plays and this, that and the next thing. So it, they, they kind of catered to the individual in the mornings and in the evenings we'd go uh, uh, you know, live in practice. And I, I really liked that because, like I said, it was like the classroom, classroom, then at night it was like your test. So it was, it was, it was a great kind of environment for learning. And what, I, what did you do during the downtime? During my downtime, oh, I was so <laughs> homesick. <laughs> really? Uh, back then, it was writing letters. Actually, it was before the whole FaceTime and yeah, the rest of it. It was sending letters, and then I would write a letter and get a reply like a week later and forget what I wrote in the first place. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I, I did, I did that. I also did a lot of the touristy stuff. Mm. Like, I really took in the whole culture. I wanted to learn a lot. So, like, our off days were on Mondays. I would always go a trip somewhere, see this, see that. I'd, I'd made, made sure I made friends with the locals to try and learn a little bit of the language and, uh, you know, go to the different restaurants, not just getting the McDonald's or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just wanted to really experience the culture. Like, I, like my time in Italy was great. I really loved it there, and it was a, it was a great place to stay. Do you find a lot of import players um, are very insular and that they just want to spend their time in their room and, and, you know, eat McDonald's and not, you know, integrate with local culture and stuff? Very much so. And it's, it's, it's comfortable that way. Like, see, you, you, you automatically get attracted to english-speaking people so like all the you know foreign players are usually become friends and they that's a little clique or whatever yeah uh even when you go on a night out it's like you go to places that are going to play you know like rap and yeah you know your hip-hop music and and so forth you always find this one little one little place and that's your comfort zone but that's the thing for me i think moving even moving from like moving to spain when i was young then to england and then on to the u.s I always wanted to try and, you know, I, I helped me adapt a little bit with my culture. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I was used to being 
put in an uncomfortable situation and having to adapt. So I think that really helped me when I went overseas. So how did that team do in, in your rookie year? Oh, was, so I'd signed a three-year deal. Uh, like I said, I think we had the second highest budget in the league. Right. Uh, stopped getting paid after three three months, maybe. Uh, because, so, you, because you're underperforming or because for other reasons? I was a bit of both. But they were having big financial problems, but they tried to kind of mask. Right. And it was just the most awkward situation because it was a, a very big-time club, so they tried to mask that. But what a lot of players in their contract had, uh, you know, after a month, if they haven't been paid, they don't have to practice, they don't have to do this, they don't have to do that. So then we had guys not practicing. Uh, we had guys going out and, like, taking a trip to Milan coming back in the morning, coming to shooting, and then they would start practice, get shouted at, and then say, okay, I'm not practicing anymore. <laughs> we had local, like the Italian players not getting along with the American players, and they would fight and say, go back to the US, and you, they would say, oh, you guys are terrible, and this. It was just, honestly, it was, then we, you know, we lost our coach, a new coach came in. So for me, you know, I, I, I didn't know any better. Uh, so I just, practiced hard, played hard, and did what I needed to do. And I actually ended up getting more court time because of that, because at first I was meant to go out on loan. Then we had players who were injured, and then players who just didn't want to practice and that. So the next thing, my minutes increased, increased, increased during the season. So I I think it worked out for me in the end, but at the same time, that was quite a a welcome to Europe kind of scary, scary moment. Because like I said, you know, when you when you see a contract and you're getting X amount, and then on the day you're supposed to get paid, you don't get anything, and then you you're complaining about not getting paid, and they're like, well, "It's only a week late," and I'm like, "Well, a week late? Why do you have it on your yeah. contract stating that?" So that was that was something I had to really learn. And then what happens is they'll pay you half the payment, so you you still have to practice, and it, it was just so confusing. <laughs> but they so did they did end up paying you. It wasn't like they stopped paying you three months in and you didn't get any money for the rest of the season. Oh, I think where I think the guys, some guys were still owed half a million. Really? <laughs> so yeah, they, 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 after the season, they, they we, we actually got uh, relegated, so we finished second last in the end, and uh, they filed bankruptcy and went to Division Three. Oh wow! So, yeah, so now they're they're actually now under a different name per se, but they're they're in the second league in Italy right now. So, so what happens in that situation? With you've signed a three-year deal, so so what happens to your contract? Did it just get it null was, and void, or it was null and void? Really? Was, and the thing is, I was very fortunate. My agent had already, when they were going down to the league, if they if they went down to A two, the, the second league, I most likely would have had to stay and honour my contract. But I was getting offers from other teams in uh, the top league, yeah, playing in Euro Cup. So I was actually thankful in the end that it actually worked out in my favour that I actually got released from my contract when they went bankrupt. Wow. But for a lot of guys, they lost hundreds of thousands of pounds. Wow. Yeah. Would you say that's how one of the... Uh, well, you know, you saying to me that, that you got a three-year contract straight out of college seems like that just would never happen today. Like, it's, everyone is now on, you know, uh, year-to-year contracts. Dan spoke about it a little bit about how much the European market has changed. Um, do you think that's an accurate reflection of what you've seen as well? Oh, very much so. Like even like 
standard contracts for 10 months before I, I, I see a lot of teams offering eight-month contracts now. Really? Uh, it's, yeah, it's, so literally after the season, you would get you would still be getting paid plus the playoffs. Now they're just giving you kind of bonuses for the playoffs. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's changed a lot. And just even things like just cutting corners uh, with certain things like the S and C is not as good as it used to be in a lot of, in a lot of situations. Yeah. They're not investing in that. They're not investing in even like proper physios in a lot of teams. Yeah, it's it's, it's definitely changed. It's changed days. But there are very there are very few teams in Europe that are actually making money now, right? Very yeah, that's exactly right. And without the sponsors and without the the banks loan, uh, lending them the money, I mean teams are are finding it very very tough. Yeah, it's interesting because we almost we almost hold the BBL to these standards of what we see in Europe with you know packed stands and and uh, you know all the razzmatazz and whatever else but actually it seems the foundations underneath beneath all that um, are not that strong either and yeah and maybe the BBL is not well, in as poor a situation as many of us think it is compared to you know mainland Europe I I, 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 I agree with that but my thing is and it goes back to that point you were making uh, before about um, potentially having you know, a team, one franchise with, you know, plays in Europe and so forth. If you look at all the top leagues, even like a league like uh, when I, I played in Greece, I was amazed with it because, you know, Greece for me was, you know, one of the top basketball nations. You were playing in Greece in, in, in arenas that only had 100, 150, 200 people in them. Yeah. Uh, but they had, the one thing they had in Greece was they had the TV deals, so everyone would watch the games on TV. Yeah. And they had the two big powerhouse teams, yeah. who who hit, you know who would dominate the Euroleague, and they flew the flag for Greece. Yeah. Literally, when Panathinaikos and Olympiakos were in the playoffs in the Euro in the Euroleague, the league shut down. Really, we didn't play any games. We waited for them to see how far they went because they <laughs> they were they were flying the flag from Greece. So I'm sitting, you know, in in my in my room for a month thinking, why are we not playing? Like yeah. just waiting for. Was it for a whole games. month you were out? I think it was like two. We missed two. I think it was two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row, and then an off week. Yeah, so it was three, four weeks. We 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 didn't play a game, waiting for Olympiacos. Wow. And the thing is, leagues like Spain, they don't do the same thing. So Spanish teams, they're maybe losing league games or whatever, because you know when they when they compete in the Euro League, uh. Okay, you have to. They don't cater for the the, the Spanish league. They don't change it, anything. They, they they continue to go. So uh, it was it was very very different in Spain. You know, when you played against a Euroleague team, and they were tired of a, of a game, you actually had a chance of winning. Well, I felt in Greece, Olympiakos and Panathinaikos could have played their third team, and they would have still wiped the floor with most of the teams in Greece. Really? What what do you think uh, it would take to be able to get a team from? Um, Britain BBL competing in European competition. I think it could it could be done very easily if they had the money. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it it literally comes down to funding. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I'm sure, uh, like like so even like the likes of FIBA and stuff, they would love to have um, a, a British team competing in in the European and uh, uh, European competitions. And I, I personally believe it will happen. Like I, I'm looking at Leicester right now. I think they're right there. Yeah. Uh, they're doing they're doing big things. And I also think when if Leicester do do that, 
other teams and other teams' fans will be like, well, we want to play in Europe. Why yeah. are... So I think that could actually up up the game a little bit in the BBL. Yeah. Uh, and then you'll have players who who are maybe playing in you know, second division, third division in, in some leagues and thinking, OK, I can actually come back and play in, in my home home home, uh, home country and play in a European competition against some of the Europeans elite. Do you think do you think some of our young British guys um, choose to go abroad just because it's overseas? You know, playing at a lower level, just because you know the BBL just has this almost stigma, stigma. to it, doesn't it? Where people just feel like it's the the kiss of death to their career, and they can't they can't um, do it. And actually, it feels like uh, you know some of the guys that graduate from college and signing in, in lower divisions in in Europe probably aren't, uh, aren't earning any more than they would in. In uh, England, in the BBL, maybe earning less. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that the stigma is definitely there, but it's not like, like I said, the BBL, they, they have made even since I've joined the league, uh, they have, they have been getting better in, in the sense that it's not back to the days, before, you know, when they had the Sky Deal and so forth, but the, like even like I, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example, Manchester Giants. Playing at their arena before, you know, with the green floor and this, that, and the next thing. At least this year they've got, yeah. you know, some, some flooring down, like, and that's the kind of standards it needs to have. Like I think that the league before they just kind of were like content in the sense that they understood that um, we're scared of people leaving. So okay, we'll bend the rules a little bit because we're scared of that they won't have any teams. Yeah. When, when realistically it should be, we're we're such a good product. People should want to be a part of this. Yeah, and that changes things. But I I feel that for British players, they have that stigma like, okay, I'm not going to go and get any better playing in, in in the British league. That's how they really feel. And again, I think that comes down to the, the basic things like the coaching and the, uh, you know, for a lot of if you look at the BBL. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the coaches are just ex BBL players, yeah. so you know a, a lot of them have a lot to bring, but a lot of them have got a lot to learn as well. So, are we really focusing on are you going to come to a BBL team and become better as a player? That's and that that's the question that uh, I think I think players ask themselves. You know, when you go to Europe, you're thinking you know, I'm climbing a ladder to play. Okay, if I'm playing in in Cyprus this year. Next year I could be in Greece, and Greece I could go on to. Yeah, they don't see the BBL as a stepping stone league. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've always said that. I think Miles is the only player who's actually stayed in England. You know, didn't go to college or anything like that, and come through BBL programs to then go on and play at. You know, now playing at a very good level. Um, but he's the only one. You know, and until yeah. there's more examples of that, I think it's. It's always going to be a hard sell, isn't it? There needs to be more, that, more that come through the system. Yeah, and for sure. And like I said, for a lot of our young British players before, who were on BBL teams, they weren't on BBL teams to play. They were on BBL teams to make up numbers. Oh yeah, and it's They're, it's just box ticking, isn't it? Like yes. there are very few BBL programs that are genuinely trying to put together a junior development program to actually develop talent that's going to come through and play in their senior team. And that's something I spoke to Nick Cumbie about. I, I, I was thinking going going forward, I really believe that the BBL franchises all should have junior development 
but not just to tick a box to actually yeah. uh, you know it's something that's, that we invest into yeah no no it's uh, it's so needed um so you, your second season then you ended up staying in Italy playing for Biela yes Biela and how, and how was that that was a lot better of experience we actually I don't think, well, we lost one of our star players uh, halfway through the season. We had a guy called Fred Jones. Maybe remember him from the dunk contest. Oh, he yeah, played for Indiana Pacers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, very talented guy. He hurt his shoulder in the second half of the season, so we lost him. But we played Euro Cup again. We were unfortunate to qualify for that. We won more games than we lost, but it came down to point difference, which was unfortunate. But Biela was a team that, was their goal was to just survive. That's the way they played. But they made this miraculous run and got us, you know, they got to the playoffs and made it to the final four. But when I was there, we, we made it to the Italian Cup, which was the top eight, and we, we got to the semi-finals and we lost to Siena, who at that time, they, they didn't lose a game. They were unreal, uh, strong EuroLeague team at the time. But we had a, I had a really good experience there. Really liked the players I played with. Uh, we had a guy called Pietro Aradori, who's a, you know, one of the Italian players who was. He showed me all of Italy. I was very close to Milan, which was which was great. And uh, also, Biela is like the land of where Ferrero Rocher came from, and okay. and Nutella. So <laughs> my sweet tooth, it, it really helped out. But yeah, I really loved it there. Uh, I would have been happy to stay there, but my agent at the time was trying to get me into Milan and uh, he thought that if I dropped a league the year after that and played significant minutes that could have happened that, that, that made that change so that was kind of my focus at that time was how could I best you know put myself in a position to climb, keep climbing the ladders uh, for my professional career So after Biela what happened did you go, did you go back to Glasgow did you go to no, Glasgow I- after Biela, I... Or was well, that Spain after yes, that? No, so I was waiting. Like I said, I was I was I thought I was going to sign a two-year deal in Milan. That fell through. Uh, and then what happened is my agent was talking about trying to get me a place that I was going to be a starter, opposed to I was always coming off the bench. Yeah. Uh, so I decided to, to wait it out. And I signed in Glasgow, and I think I, I, I lasted four days. And then, and then I got my contract. And I, I actually was with my old coach in Fortitudo, the second coach in Fortitudo, who signed me to go and play in the second league in, in, in Italy. So it was like I felt so bad. Cause I, I literally played one game, and then the next day I left. <laughs> <laughs> what was uh, what was it like going back for, well, go, going there for, for one game? Was there a massive difference at that point between what you'd been used to in Italy and uh, compared to the BBL? You know what? It was it was one of those things because I'd, I'd been practising with them like in the off, like, you know, as I was waiting. So it just kind of, everything just kind of fell in place. Uh, but yeah, definitely the standards is what, see the thing that what I, I would say about most top leagues opposed to like the BBL is it's not that, there's players who are not capable of playing in those top leagues. There's there's plenty of players who are capable of. It's the depth. So, you know, your backup in, you know, a stronger league is just as good as the starters. And and yeah. and, a, and, a lot, and a lot, I'm I'm saying that because I was a backup in most of the teams that <laughs> way. But uh, 
I, I think that is a big difference. While in the BBL, you're very fortunate if you have you know a seven seven players, eight players that can actually go. You know. Yeah. Uh, so I think I found just the adjustment and how I could outsmart players so much easier without wasting any energy. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I, I would have been too comfortable at that time just to go out and and and, and play in the BBL. Like I, I knew I still wanted a lot more. Do you, how much does um, kind of location come into it when you're looking at teams and stuff? Do you think, oh, you know, I've been in Italy two or three years now, like I'd like to try and play in a different country, experience different things, or, or is it more like, you know, I'm going to go where the best opportunity to play in, in contract-wise is? Um, you know what I always find that it's very easy to forget about all the other aspects of of a, a player signing somewhere. Yeah. Um, I, you know, there's a big difference between playing in Greece or Spain and playing in Serbia or Slovenia or okay, whatever. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, I I I I I think 100. percent Like for me, Italy, I was comfortable in, uh, especially in the north of Italy. So actually, when I went to this, the south of Italy, I was like completely cultural uh, difference for me but uh, I when I was in Italy I kind of wanted like I you know, I'd spoke with Archibald spoke with Betts you know, Dan, Dan at the time Joel I really wanted to get to Spain so I was wanting to, to try and sign in Spain so that was my for me that was deemed as the best league in Europe so that was my focus it was how could I get to Spain so even with my agent I started to turn down things in Italy because I was waiting out for Spain, and I, you know, even when I went to to Spain, I took a pay cut to go to Spain. Really, a lot, a lot of players solely f- focus on money. Uh, some some players focus on, you know, location as it, like like you were saying. Some focus on the, just competition, like what leagues are going to play. Some are what kind of role am I going to have in this team? Because all that, believe it or not, all that's kind of worked out you know if you're going to go in and play 30 minutes yeah. and sometimes you could work really really hard but money wise you know if you're if you're making if one guy's making 800,000 and you're making 100,000 or on this day and age if someone's making 100,000 <laughs> and another person's making 12,000 or yeah. 20,000 um, you're not going to take his spot he's going to get yeah. his chances because then the GM looks, looks like an idiot the coach looks like an idiot so it's 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 kind of getting you know, knowing where you fit in and working out those deals beforehand. How many minutes am I going to play? Uh, you know what the rotation is going to look like. What position are you going to play me at? All these things come into play. How honest the team when you're speaking to teams like how honest are they with you about that? Like I mean you know because if they let's say they're trying to sign a guy that's going to be eight or ninth in the rotation and, and probably not play a lot, you know. They can't. I assume that it's very difficult to be upfront about that and be like, "Yeah, we're barely going to play you, but we want you here. Like, you just got to stay ready." You know, do people lie? Like, how how does it actually work well, in the negotiations? I've I've had it in, in the sense that you know I, I was looking to go to a Euroleague team once, and I was told I was going to be the third third big man. And you know, in my in my mind, I was like, "Okay, third third option, probably going to play six minutes if lucky." You know? Yeah. So. I mean, they were they were honest in that in that respect, uh, but I guess it depends. Like, okay, if someone tell me I could play six minutes playing in a, a top Euroleague team, or play, you know, thirty minutes on, you know, a team that, you know, in some league that I, I don't feel like I'm going to learn anything from or get any better from, 
I'm probably taking the six minutes in the Euroleague. So yeah. it's, I, I guess it depends on the player as well, you know. So, yeah. But yeah, I think that sometimes they're honest. Sometimes they're honest with your agent and your agent's not honest with you. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it really depends, I feel. How important do you think an agent is in, in this whole process? Um, do you think that it's actually... Do you think that players really need an agent? Yes, in the sense that you can't sign without one. Uh, like in top leagues, you, you need an agent signature. But I was saying that after your first couple of years, especially if you're established in a league, I mean, the agent's just, it's just a handshake. But yeah. back then, you know, it could be a difference in 100,000 on really? a, you know, in a with a, with the right agent, the right this, the right that, you know. So, I think agents are are, are very uh, essential in, in the sense. But once, like I said, once you're established, I, 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 you don't really need the agent as much. Yeah. It's when things it's when things happen within the club that year. That's when you realise you need an agent. Right. And so, you, your focus on playing in Spain was because you wanted to play at the highest level in Europe. Yes. Um, yes. And then when you signed in Spain. How did your how did the did the reality meet your expectations? Well, it was the NBA lockout that year as well. So uh, at the start, it was just frightening because the thing for me was even Italy. Italy was a really really strong league, but it was it was a it was a guards league. I would say it was a really really good guards. Not a lot of big bigs. When you went to to Spain, they had towers. Like everybody was just huge, and you know. For me, it was just like I loved the game in, Italy, in, in Spain because it was like, like I said, it was very, very tactical, which suits me because I do not have a one-on-one game at all. So <laughs> I need, I rely on movement. So for me, just the tactics. The coach I had there, he's now the Spanish uh, Spanish assistant coach. Uh, I learned so much from him again, and even took it from a whole different level from what I learned in in, in Italy. So. I, I felt that it, it definitely met my expectations uh, in that sense. And like I said, any night you could not have an off night. Like you had to bring it every single night or you would lose. And that was even with the top teams. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed just the level of competition. So you did you did two years in Spain, right? I only did the one year in Spain. Oh, and really? again, financially, the team I was in had money problems and they owed me a lot of money. And I actually wanted to sign back there, even though they were having money problems. Uh, but that was after the Olympics. Uh, so that was 2012. Yeah. The Olympics. And in my mind, I was signing in China for hundreds of thousands. So <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I wasn't ready to drop drop my wage that much. <laughs> and uh, and then after after Spain was Greece. It was yes. And how was that? Greece, for me, like I said, um, it was one of those leagues that it was very kind of physical, kind of slow. But the the situation for me in Greece was it was really bad. Like like I said, money problems, there, financial problems, players coming in and out. Like they were like rotating. This guy would be cut. This guy would be cut. They're bringing in this new guy. You like. Greece, it was it was a it was a big mess in my opinion. Really, uh, like I said, there was a lot of talent. And I, I, like I, my advice to young players now is: go to Greece, 
because if you play in Greece, uh, it can really help you develop as a player and, and prepare you for other leagues. But if you're going to Greece to get paid, <laughs> <laughs> you should have you know you should really have second thoughts on that because if you're if you're if you're going to get paid, you're definitely in the minority. Really. It's crazy, isn't it? The stories everyone have, has from Europe. What would you say is, uh, when you look back um, in your time in Europe, what was the craziest story that you have? Uh, you know, it was probably me and uh, <laughs> and when I was in Italy my first year, like in, in Fortitudo. I remember that we had been told we were paid and we got these signed letters from the bank saying that they had paid us. And I sent it to my agent, and my agent said it was fake. So what I decided to do was go on strike. Right. So I'm here, a no-name. And like I said, our, our, all, the, all the guys that either be in the NBA or top level, this, top level, that. And I'm sitting in the rock room, and I say, like, look, I don't think we've been paid. I'm going on strike. <laughs> and, and they looked at me and said, I remember the general manager said, like, who are you? He let you, <laughs> who are you to go and strike? And I said, he goes, you know, you could just pack your bags and go home. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm happy to pack my bags and go home. But when I tell, when the media asks me why I'm leaving, I'm going to tell them it's because I'm not getting paid. So the next day, I had all my money in advance put into my account. Oh, really? And then my teammates went crazy because they found out that they'd been lied to and they hadn't been paid. <laughs> and the general manager didn't even know we hadn't been paid, so he'd been lied to by the, by the owner. Oh, wow. So the general manager met with the players and was like, look, I'm sorry, I, I really didn't know this had happened. So he generally thought that I was being arrogant in this, but my agent was one step ahead. So I actually got paid and none of the other guys did. So they all decided to go on strike, and I couldn't go on strike because I'd been paid. <laughs> so I had to go and do my workouts by myself. So <laughs> just the weirdest, the weirdest situation I'd ever been. But I went to my workouts, the happiest guy alive. Because, <laughs> like I said, it was my first year. I, you know, I was broke from from college. I actually was paying back loans because I had to get loans to work when I was working out in Chicago and stuff. Oh, so wow. it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was quite an experience. Incredible. When you when you look back um, at your career to date, what would you say is your favourite memory? My favourite memory? Yeah. Uh, being told I'd been selected for GB for 2012. Really? How, how did that happen? Where, where were you? Like, What was the conversation? Who was it with? We were in Houston. Okay. And I had literally been told by the Scotland team that if I hadn't, they were like, Kim, we're confident you, you've got a chance of making the team, but if not, we want you to fly, fly over to Gibraltar to play in the small nations. Right. And I kind of like went to coach, like, have you, you know, decided on the team yet? I, I, I need to know because if not, I'm going to fly to Gibraltar. So instead of playing against USA, I could be playing against San Marino. <laughs> and uh, he was like, oh, yeah, we're going to have our uh, talks tonight. So just wait in the room. So I'm in the room and my heart was just, pounding like I, I I was thinking the worst this that and the next thing I'd been cut from GB the year before so you know I was like thinking negative thoughts but at the same time I was like I know, I know I've had a good camp and yeah what angle what way are we going to go so he called us down phoned my room come to speak and there was like six of them around the table 
it was like the weirdest situation ever. And I sat down, he goes, take a seat. And I was just like, you know, with Chris Finch, you could never read him. Like, yeah. happy, sad, whatever. And he's giving this big talk, and I'm just thinking, just tell me if I'm in or not, you know. And he just said the words, and I literally just, that was it. Like, I, like I was crying. Like, I was just, I was so overwhelmed because, like I said, that was my only goal to, of basketball and, and, and at that time was to make the GB team. And, and in hindsight, I wish I'd focused more on playing in the games opposed to making the team. <laughs> you know, because like I was after I'd made the team I was just so excited and so this and so that. And you know, you talk about experiences and, you know, building programmes and playing Eurobaskets and this. When you play in two or three or four big tournaments, that becomes the norm, so you're kinda of used to it. But actually making something of that magnitude at that moment in time, it was like nothing could have topped that. Does that make sense? So yeah. Uh, I was just like I said, I was overwhelmed, and we, you know, we weren't allowed to tell everybody. But obviously, I went and phoned my mom and stuff like that, and I was just, I was super, super excited. It was like, and honestly, the the, the rest of the the, the tournaments, all the games, the, the it was all blur. I can't remember any of it. Like I, I just, I, I do remember, you know, the actual Olympics. But the, we went away to I think we went to play in France. We went to play in Belgium. I forgot about all of that. I can't remember any of it. That, really? that, that pain, it was just so weird. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, like I said, I'd, I'd wish that it was a little bit like, okay, I'm making this team, now let's get focused for everything else that's going to take uh, to, to follow. And I feel that that is a, that is a problem with a newer, a newer uh, nation in basketball, that we we have to be at these tournaments more more often to kind of like, to get over the fact that we've done this, we've done that. Yeah. Now it's Now it's business. Yeah. And now uh, I'm aware of time, so last question. Um, and I, I, I did want to talk about the Olympics, but obviously we haven't got to it. So just uh, now, you, when you look back at London 2012, you know what are the memories that stand out? How do you how do you look back on on the whole tournament? Uh, you know, I, I talked. I said earlier that the the Eurobasket qualifiers this year were a success. I felt that the Olympics was we failed. And you know, like, you know, if we're putting things black and white, uh, we failed in the sense that we thought we would reach the next round, and we didn't reach the next round. And you know, we could go into it and say, you know, we were close in this the game, close in that game. Uh, that wasn't enough, and I, I felt that we had the talent to make the next round. So it was it, for me, it was it was very it was disappointing. Very very happy we made it there. I'm, uh, loved that we, you know, we against the China. China, we we had a great team performance. We played really well against Spain. We even played well against Brazil. Uh, but like at the end of the day, it, it wasn't enough. And I, 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 you know, looking back on it, you know, even now when I play for GB, I always I, I hate to remind myself of how different things could have been if we'd qualified for that next round. Uh, you know, maybe with the funding this and the funding that. But at the same time. I always think things happen for a reason, and I felt that, you know, our you know, going on about strategy and this, that, and the next thing, we never got it right the first time round. Yeah. So now that's why I'm 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 a lot more actively involved in making sure it's it's right this time. If that makes sense. Makes perfect sense, and I I think that's a perfect place to leave it. Kieran, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I think we'll have to do a, a part three in the next year or two um, <laughs> and do another catch-up. But yeah, thanks again for, for yeah, taking the well, time. Much appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Cheers. Bye. 
You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.